Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. All right, man, it's great to see y'all. Man, it's always a thrill for me to get to be here on on a weekend. Shout out to all of our campuses. And those of you that might be joining us online today, so grateful for all y'all. And I can't tell you how privileged I feel to be a part, uh, just a tiny part of, of, of Lake Point and to see what God is doing here. And I, I just want to be real upfront with you. I absolutely uh, love uh, Josh Howerton. I think he is one of the brightest, most authentic. I think he's uh, passionate, articulate, kind, humble, one of the best young leaders I've ever met. And so when I signed on to be a, a part of this several years ago, I, I wanted to come alongside of him and enable him to have the margin to be a great husband and a great dad. And I, I wanted to give him sustained breaks so he could rekindle his energy and replenish his soul, have times of rest and play, because way too many pastors burn out these days. And it's part of my calling to help him not do that. So... You're stuck with me for a month. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. You get to be here. <clears throat> I'm really excited about this series. And like they said, the Daily Drive podcast, by the way, thanks for joining, joining us on that and for sharing it with your friends and stuff. Hope it's helpful to you. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to track along uh, to the weekend series in, in a way. And we're, we're, and we're calling this little four-part series, Live No Lies. And I, and I totally stole the title from a book I read last summer by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. And I highly recommend it. Uh, it, it I highlighted it, circled, uh, underlined, wrote in the margin as, as in, in, in that book as much as any book I have in recent memory. And we won't be using much of the content of that book during this weekend. So I'd encourage you to grab it yourself and highlight it for yourself and, and read it. But I do want to use the title. And I do want to use the premise to teach out some things about identity theft in the next four weeks. I heard an alarming stat yesterday about the current rise of identity theft. Bank accounts, social security numbers, retirement plans, social media profiles are being hacked on an increasingly regular basis. But from my vantage point, it seems like identity theft has been going on a long, long time. And not so much in the financial realm, but where it really counts in our souls. You see, we, we have an enemy who wants to hack into your soul and mine and wreak havoc with our identity. He's very real and he's relentless. In fact, Jesus had this to say about him. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And his goal is not so much to get you and me to tell lies as it is to get us to live lies. So for the next four weeks, we're going to tackle some of the big time lies that he uses to hack into our identity, such as, I am what people say about me. Uh, lies such as, I am what I do. And how, I will, how, how will I do it? 
Lies like, I am what I've done. I'm defined by my past. And we're going to tackle one of those every single week. And today we're going to get after this one. I am what I feel. I am what I feel. You know, the most effective lies are the ones that are so subtle that on the surface, they almost seem like great advice, right? Like the trendy and popular advice these days is uh, you do you. Have you heard that? Maybe even said that? It's kind of what I call TikTok theology. Now, in regard to being true to how God wired you up, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I want to be somebody else to have their looks, their talents, their intellect, their family, their grades, their stuff. It just leads us to envy and insecurity. When we recognize how blessed that we actually are, when we know who we are in God's eyes, when we are humbly confident in the gifts that God has given to us, that's when we tend to flourish. I mean, even recognizing your personality type or your Enneagram number can help you become comfortable in your own skin. So I think in that context, the phrase you do you is right on. But it seems like it has come to mean so much more in our culture. In our current culture, it's come to mean however you feel defines who you are. Whatever you feel is right is right. You and you alone determine what's right and wrong. You You determine what's good and what's evil. You decide what's best for you because you are your own source of truth. What's true for me might not be true for you. After all, truth is relative. So follow your heart. Just you do you. Self seems to be the new God, which is really nothing new. Been going on since the Garden of Eden when the father of lies slithers in and asks, come on, did God say that? Are you kidding me? Did God say that? You could be God. And personally, I spent a long time keeping that trend going by trying to be Mike Almighty. But this whole you do you mantra seems to be the new spiritual authority. Robert C. Roberts writes this. He says, we have been led to feel that self is sacrosanct. Just as in an earlier time, it was thought never fitting to deny God. So now it seems never right to deny oneself. The attractive appeal is be true to your heart. Or just follow your heart because after all, the heart wants what the heart wants. And that sounds good, doesn't it? But did you know that Scripture tells us that the human heart is the most deceitful above all things? And just being super transparent here, it has been my experience that following my heart, being led by my feelings and letting my feelings become my truth source, Following my emotions, my wants, chasing my desires and my lusts and my impulses and my appetites has caused me more damage in my life than anything else. I heard an older comedian not long ago talking about watching one of those commercials where they come on and say, are you a man over 40? Do you suffer from low testosterone? He said, I'm watching and thinking, what's so bad about low T? Every bad decision I've ever made in my life is when I had high T. <laughs> Women, lower your expectations, and we'll lower our T. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. You see, when we let our hormones, when we let our impulses, our appetites, and our flesh control our lives, our identity gets hacked. We get riddled with insecurity and self-centeredness, and we end up trading deep soul satisfaction for very surfacey kind of life. I grew up in Kentucky, and somebody sent me a list uh, to make fun of my heritage, as they often do. The list was titled, Things You'll Never Hear a Southern Man Say. Many of you can relate to this, such as, duct tape won't fix that. 
You'll never hear a Southern guy say that. <laughs> Duct tape and WD-40 fixes anything, right? Uh, you'll never hear a Southern man say, wrestling's fake. You'll never hear a Southern man say that. And you'll never hear a Southern man say, I'll take Shakespeare for a thousand, please. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Shakespeare. But any of you remember a line from Hamlet that I think is stuck with our culture? The line is this, this above all, to thine own self be true. Remember that? Anybody remember who spoke that line? I didn't either. Probably missed it on the SAT. <laughs> Had to look it up. It was Polonius who plays the fool. And so it is the fool who encourages us to live by the slogan, be true to yourself. Just follow your heart. You do you. And again, I cannot tell you how many times just following my heart and chasing after my appetites and buying the lie that I am what I feel has made a fool out of me. And I've watched so many families shattered because somebody could not control their appetite for more because when you just you do you and your feelings lead the way and yourself is in the driver's seat and instant gratification is your GPS, you don't stand a chance. Now, there's a poignant illustration of all this in Genesis chapter 25. It's the first book of the Bible. And you may have heard this story. If you haven't heard this story, you're probably going to shake your head and go, he did what? It's a story about two brothers. The older brother um, is a guy named Esau. You ever heard of him? Uh, he, he was his dad's favorite. He was a man's man, big, rugged, high tea kind of guy, shaving in the fourth grade, you know, dressed in Carhartt camo, loved to hunt and fish, had an outdoor face, biceps the size of my thighs, drove a huge jacked up truck with a rifle rack in the back. You get the idea. That was Esau. The younger brother is a guy named Jacob. He was smart cunning, articulate, intellectually savvy. He wore like J. Crew. He was his mom's favorite. He had an indoor face, spent most of his time in the kitchen trying out Pinterest recipes. That's Jacob. They were like polar opposites as brothers. Now the story kind of revolves around this thing called a birthright. Now it's a concept we're not super familiar with in our culture, but it was a very big deal way back in ancient Middle Eastern culture. The oldest son in the family was given by his father this thing called the birthright, which was not based on performance or anything else other than being the firstborn son in the family. And there was a huge financial upside to possessing the birthright. When dad passed away and the estate was divided, the firstborn son got three times as much money as everybody else. I mean, he got two-thirds of the estate and the rest of the kids would split the leftovers. Again, not by the merit of anything he had done, just by the birth order. Another thing that came along with the birthright was the authority that you were given over the rest of the family. And the whole family knew it. When dad passed away, you were the man. You were in charge now. You settled all family disputes. Whatever you say goes because you were the one in possession of the birthright. There was one other thing. In that culture, there was this belief that if you possessed the birthright, then you, more than everybody else in your family, you possessed the blessing of God on your life. So the birthright had enormous privilege attached, money, authority, and the blessing of God. It was a huge deal. So here's how this story goes. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So Esau comes in from hunting and says, boy, it smells good, little brother. I am hungry. Give me a bowl of that stew. 
Now, I didn't grow up with a brother, so I don't completely understand this whole dynamic like some of you. I mean, how many of you have a brother or a sister? Who, who, who are, who, how many are the, are the oldest in the family? Youngest in the family. Yeah, I got two boys, uh, Derek and Drew. And this picture pretty much sums up their relationship even today. Um, my boys, uh, the older one, Derek, and the younger one, Drew on top, they, they love e- each other. They really are best buddies. And we never had any serious uh, sibling rivalry going on in our home. But as they were growing up, you could see this dynamic, and maybe you've, you've witnessed it too, where the older really doesn't need anything from the younger one, but the younger one's always wanting stuff from the older one, right? And growing up, that little brother or that little sister is kind of a pest to the older one. Mom, they've been in my room again. Mom, they wore my sweatshirt without asking. Mom, they got my jeans. Mom, my car is gone. Did they borrow my car without asking? They were such a pest. Can't we just give them away? The little brother is always wanting stuff from the older one, but rarely does the older need anything from the younger. But when he does, when he does, the smart little brother pushes pause and says, whoa, wait a minute. You never need anything from me. You, 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 you never ask me for stuff, but now that you need something, I have the power. It's going to cost you. If you want this from me, I'm going to need that from you. And they start negotiating. Let me drive your car. No, let me wear your jacket. No, let me play your PlayStation. No, let me give, you, give me your iPhone 14. Goes down the list till the older brother finally caves in. You've seen that dynamic play out probably in your family. So little brother Jacob, knowing the impulse of nature of his big brother Esau and fully aware of the power of feelings and appetites, seizes the moment and says, okay, here's the deal. This steaming delicious bowl of red stew can all be yours if the price is right. And then he offers the most ridiculous trade in the history of trades. He says, first, sell me, trade me your birthright. What? Not not can I drive your car? Can we switch bedrooms for a month? Can I have your laptop? I'm I'm going to need your birthright. No, now come on, really? I mean, like, like who in the world would give up everything they had simply because they felt hungry in the moment? Who would trade their entire future for something as temporary as a bowl of stew? I mean, who would throw away their marriage? Who would throw away the respect of their kids? Who would throw away their reputation? Who would throw away their scholarship? Who would throw away their career? Who would throw away their influence in the community? Who would throw away their ministry? Who would throw away their legacy for something as insignificant and temporary as a lousy bowl of stew? You might. If it's the right bowl of stew, I might. It's the right bowl of stew. Because, gang, when we buy the lie and we go with just what we feel in the moment, When we just follow our heart and chase our appetites, it will lead us away from making the right decision every single time. None of us are exempt from standing in the very same situation where we are tempted to make the same kind of stupid trade for something that will cost us everything we have. Look at Esau's response. This this is unbelievable to me. (laughs) Look how he responds. He goes, look, I'm about to die. 
What good is the birthright to me? You talk about living in the impulse of the moment gets all dramatic. I'm about to die. We read that and think, dude, come on. You just walked into the kitchen. You have shoulders the size of bowling balls. You're not about to die. Your stomach might be growling. You might be a little lightheaded, but you're not about to die. Come on, man. He goes, no, 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 look. I'm about to die. What good? See where he's going with this? What good is the birthright to me? Excuse me? What good is the birthright to you? Well, for starters, you get three times as much money as your brother. You get control of the entire family, and you get the blessing of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking like right now. If I drop dead from hunger right now, what good is the birthright to me? I mean, this is ridiculous, right? But it happens to all of us. In fact, neurological and sociological research shows that when, when something that our appetites crave, shows up in front of us, something chemically changes in our brains. There's this chemical reaction that makes that already strong desire that much stronger. In those moments, your brain blows that thing way out of proportion and makes it appear so much bigger, so much better, so much more attractive than it actually is. It magnifies the desire to the point where it makes that thing we crave seem like the end-all answer for what's missing in our life. And this chemical gets released in our brain, and then our self and the enemy starts lying to us. Oh, if you could only get this. If you could only have that. If you could only get her. If you could just hook up with him. This, yeah, this is it. Now, I know you can't afford it. I know it might hurt some other people, but I'm telling you, this is the more that you've been craving. Come on. You do you. That's what happens to Esau. In the moment, all he could see, all he could think about, all he could smell, taste, and crave was what his feelings were telling him he had to have in the moment. So Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. So Esau trades his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Again, worst trade of all time. In fact, there's a little comment at the end of verse 30 that says, that's why Esau was called Edom, which means red. How embarrassing is that? Because he traded his birthright for a bowl of red stew, people started calling him red. What's up, red? How would you like to have a nickname that reminded you of your stupid decision for the rest of your life? I heard Andy Stanley years ago talk about how helpful it would have been if somebody could have done the whole back to the future thing and dropped into the moment to remind Esau what his future held. So, someone could have showed up and said, Esau, hang on a second, man. I know you're hungry, but do you remember... How you heard your dad, Isaac, talking about how his dad and your granddad, Abraham, had been given this promise from God that he was going to make him and his family into this great nation? Ever heard him talk about that? And from that nation was going to come this blessing that was going to bless the entire world. Esau, let me tell you something. You need to know something. You're going to have 12 sons. And they're going to have a bunch of kids and eventually going to become that nation. And that nation one day is going to be taken into slavery in Egypt. They're going to be enslaved for like 400 years and they're going to cry out to God. And God's going to hear their cries. He's going to raise up a deliverer. His name is Moses. And hang with me here. I know your stomach is growling. But when God shows up and introduces himself to Moses, he tells him, I am the great I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. 
And listen, man, you take that stew, all of that changes. You think you want what your little brother has now? You take that stew and God will introduce himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your little brother. And then about 2,000 years later, the Messiah, that one that God promised Abraham that would come through his family tree to bless the entire world, that deliverer is going to come to earth and they're going to call him Jesus, which means he will save the people. And the most amazing event that's ever happened in history is going to happen. And he was going to deliver all people all, all over the whole world from all their sin. And while he's on earth, he's going to gather some people around him. One of the guys is a guy named Matthew. And he's going to write down the story of Jesus. It's going to be contained in this best-selling book called the Bible. And the, and the way his biography is going to start is like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Esau. And man, I know you're really hungry, but let me ask you, you want to give all that up? You want to throw away a future like that? You want to throw away a legacy like that for a bowl of red stew? But there was no one there in the moment to remind him that God wanted to do some amazing things through his life. There was no one there saying, come on, man, don't do this. This is an incredibly bad trade, can't you see? I mean, you eat this stew, you're only going to want more. Come on, Esau, don't buy the lie. You are not what you feel. Don't listen to your surface appetite screaming now. Think about later. Think about your family. Think about your future. Think about your legacy. And besides, this will not satisfy. Look how this ends, verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank. They were gone. And he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Here's the deal. This tension will never go away. You and I will always have to do battle with our appetites. We will always have to check our deceitful heart and fight against this lie. So let me just give you some truth to counteract the way our feelings and strong appetites lie to us. Our strongest feelings are not actually our deepest desires. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. You see, the truth is those strong desires that we have, those appetites, those feelings, they're very surfacy. And all of us have been created with this deep hunger to connect with the one who made us. And gang, it is that deeper desire that keeps us anchored in truth. It's that deeper hunger that really satisfies a person's soul. It's that deeper pursuit that secures our identity, overflows into all of our relationships, and enables you and me to walk in true freedom. And our enemy knows that if he can just keep us on the surface, chasing all of our feelings and fleshly impulses, that's going to keep us from experiencing that deep hunger that really satisfies a person. Dallas Willard writes this, and sometimes I have to read Dallas Willard like really slow and a couple of times because he's so much smarter than me. But this is what he wrote. He said, when the will has become enslaved by its need, when the mind has become obsessed with the object of its desire, when the appetite of the body has become master rather than servant, the soul is disordered. The ultimate reality behind human dissatisfaction is sinful souls that have been cut off from the God we were made to rest in. In other words, he's saying our strong desires are not our deepest desires. We all got to go deeper. I mean, Jesus said one time, said, blessed are those 
who hunger and thirst after God, for they will be satisfied. Now, let me just give you some really, really good news. You and I, unlike Esau, do have someone in the moment speaking to us saying, don't make that trade. Don't buy that lie. Look what it says in Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, to keep you from doing the things you know down deep you really want to do, the way you really want to live. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. You know, I I read that scripture this week and had to ask myself, what or who is guiding your life these days, flesh or spirit? I mean, bro, are you honestly letting your appetites and your instant gratification, are you letting that be your GPS? I mean, honestly, are you letting your feelings and impulses define and guide your life? Because I'm discovering that when my flesh drives my life, when I just do me, It causes me to deny the deepest and truest desires of my soul. And it always, always leaves me feeling empty. And man, that's such a lousy trade. And can I just lovingly ask you the same thing? Who's leading your life these days? Flesh or spirit? Lies or truth? Which one? Because the flesh will distract you from the deeper desires. That's a main strategy of the hacker, the enemy of our soul. He knows if he can just keep us chasing surface appetites, we will remain empty and far from God. And again, all of us want to connect with our maker. He designed it that way. He put a deep desire to know him within each one of us. In fact, he made us to be empty if we're filled up with anything but him. He longs to take us deeper into real life. He wants to ground us in truth, not lies. And God also created every one of us with a deep desire to become a good person with high character. That's why when we do something godly, we do something good, something kind, something compassionate, it also feels so deeply satisfying, right? You know, I've done a lot of funerals in my lifetime. It's always an honor to serve a family in that way, but not one time have I stood up and said, you know, the best thing about Joe, he was the king of one-night stands, man. The way he let his hormones lead his life was inspiring. I've never said her, my favorite thing about her is that her makeup was absolutely flawless. Or man, Duke could handle a crack pipe better than anybody I've ever seen. There's no way. I mean, when people die, we honor and celebrate the best parts of their character, Right? We talk about their love. We talk about the way they sacrificed, the kind of friend they were. We extol their generosity. We we highlight their commitment to their family, their joy, their humility, their, their service, their compassion, their kindness, all of which required, guess what? The denial of their fleshly desires. And yet the widespread wisdom of our day is chase your desires, man, not crucify them. In reality, to thine own self be true is some of the worst advice anyone could ever give you. One of the ways that's helped me from letting my feelings lead my life and steal my identity is painting a picture of the way I want my character and my life to look. I sat down when I was 25, about uh, 12 years ago now. Has it been that long? (laughs) Golly, wow. And I, I wrote a description of the kind of life and legacy that I wanted to leave. And I wrote down stuff about how I wanted my life to model after Jesus. And I described my life in great detail to myself so I could read it often. And I read it often. I wrote a description of what a great husband ought to look like. 
I wrote what kind of dad that I wanted to be, and I got real descriptive about those things. I wrote a paragraph about the kind of friend I wanted to be, the kind of leader I wanted to be, the kind of neighbor I wanted to be, the kind of employee I wanted to be, and, and on and on. And then I surrendered all that to God and just asked him, I said, God, would you hang that picture on the wall of my heart to remind me of my preferred future? Has it been perfect? Absolutely not. I've needed God's grace and redirection a bunch, still do. But for the most part, for the most part, it has kept me from just following my appetites and my deceitful feelings. When I've been presented with an opportunity to make a really stupid trade, when my appetites are screaming, come on, follow me. Come on, bro, you do you. You could have so much more. You know you want it. You know you need it. Dude, come on, you need it now. I can say, you know what? No, no, I'm, I'm just not willing to screw up that picture. I'm not going to let you control my life. You are not going to make decisions for me. I'm sticking with God's plan because I know what I want my life to look like, and I go with you, it's going to screw all that up. It's going to hurt a bunch of people. It's going to wreck my life, and it's going to leave me empty. And I'm just not willing to make that trade. You see why it's so important to pursue those deeper desires? To let his loving wisdom paint a picture of what our life should be instead of just following our heart. Because in those moments... When our appetites and feelings are screaming at us, we need some strength beyond ourselves. We need some supernatural power to shut those appetites up. We need somebody that's bigger, better, wiser, stronger to guide us a different direction into what is true. Again, that's why God tells us in Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You won't be jerked around by your feelings and your appetites. When you roll out of bed every morning saying, Holy Spirit, I surrender this day to you. Keep me aware of your presence in my life today. I'm telling you, in the moment, in the moment, he will be there to remind you of your preferred future. He will remind you of that picture you painted and hung on the wall of your heart. He'll remind you to play the video out all the way so you can see the long-term consequences if you go down that road. He will prompt you to draw close to him. He will show you a way of escape in the moment. In the moment, he will encourage you to lean into a good friend for help and counsel, maybe to help you with all the distorted thinking that's going on in your mind. He will bring up truth from Scripture that you've been learning in the moment to counteract all the lies that your brain is telling you. He will help you restrain your appetites so that they don't lead you away from becoming God's best version of you, so they don't lead you away from leaving the kind of legacy you know you want to leave. So I want to give you a homework assignment. I know it's summer break. It's not real popular to get homework in, in the summer, but this is a good assignment. In fact, I wish I'd have done this when I was 15 instead of 25. It doesn't matter how old you are, never too late to paint a brand new picture. So just write down at the top of a page. Remember paper? They have this stuff called paper. And you can grab a thing called a pen. Or you can do a laptop or your tablet or your phone or whatever. Just write down 10 years from now. 10 years from now. I take some time to do this. What do you want your life to look like 10 years from now? And ask God to help you as you're writing. Just start writing down what comes to mind. What kind of person would you like to be 10 years from now? What kind of character would you like to possess 10 years from now? What would you like to see God do in your friendships? What would you like to see God do in your marriage? What would you like to see God do in your kids, in your grandkids? Well, what do you want to see God do in your neighborhood, in your community, at your school, on your team that, that you're a part of? What do you want to see God do in your career, in your business, with your employees and their families? How could you perhaps see God using you in ministry 
serving other people. And just start writing, 10 years from now, this is what I want it to look like. And in doing so, you're hanging a picture on the wall of your heart, and you're leaning into God for the deep satisfaction that only He can give. And you ask God to help you to find what a better story looks like, and you hang that picture on the wall of your heart, and you just go after that with your life. And then every day you surrender to His leadership, and you ask God's Spirit to help you ignore the lies and live in the truth. Because if you and I don't do that, I'm just telling you, we will find ourselves in the same spot as Esau, and we will trade our future for a stupid bowl of stew. So could I just pry a little bit and ask you, because I love you, what's your bowl of stew right now? I mean, what's that thing that's being held out to you right now that honestly you're finding it very hard to resist? What are your feelings, your flesh, your appetites telling you to go after? What, what, what is it right now that you're having a hard time saying no to? Or let me ask it this way. What are you trying to talk yourself into? What kind of rationalizations are you trying to come up with in your mind to, 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 uh, to, to uh, rationalize the direction you're going to go? What, what is it right now that you know is a really bad decision? But your feelings are telling you, come on, man, do it anyway. You do you. Whatever it is, it's your bowl of stew. And it looks good, and it smells great. And it promises something it can never deliver. Because it's a lie. And I don't know what it is for you right now, but I do know this. That what was true of Esau is also true of you. That you have no idea what God wants to accomplish in and through your life. You have no idea what God wants to do through your children, through your grandchildren, through your great-grandchildren. You have no idea how deeply God loves you and wants to walk with you and guide you and use you. But God knows. So he says, live no lies. You are not what you feel. The heart is deceitful above all things. Let me lead your life. Let me help you paint a better picture of your life. Let me help you live a better story because there's so much I want to do in you and through your life. So whatever you do, don't trade that future for a lousy bowl of stew. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your truth that leads us away from the lies that we get bombarded with. And God, just thinking through this and entire series and where we're going to go in the coming weeks. There's so many subtle lies that just hack deep into our soul. And God, I, I pray that you would expose them for what they are. And that as much loved people, sons and daughters of yours, we would see the truth about who we are. And we wouldn't let those lies steal our identity. God, I pray that this week we would recognize those impulses and appetites for what they are. And pray, God, we would go deeper to what our soul really craves so that the things on the surface wouldn't entice us so much. Father, I thank you for being um, the kind of God that just wants to do life with us. So grateful for that. Thank you for the patience you've had with me in my life. Thank you for your abundant amount of grace that you've showered on all of us. Lord, we just want to become better people. We want to leave a legacy the way you want us to. 
So, Father, I pray that all week long your Holy Spirit will stamp what we've talked about today in our hearts and that we would live no lies this week. We just walk in the truth that we are deeply loved sons and daughters of yours. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake Point.